This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Nil Zacharias and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Lou Cooperhouse is co-founder, president, and CEO of Blue Nalu, a company focused on disrupting the global seafood industry with cellular aquaculture. Lou comes from a background in the food industry, having worked for large corporations such as Campbell Soup, Conagra, and also a Nestle-funded startup. But as he progressed in his career, he noticed the growing trend of plant-based products and cell-cultured meat, and ultimately decided that this was the holy grail of the food industry. While there's a variety of plant-based burger brands and new food tech companies working to create meat from animal cells, the seafood market has been largely overlooked. Considering the state of our oceans with overfishing driving fish stocks to the point of collapse, rising sea temperatures, ocean acidification, and plastic pollution infiltrating even the most remote and pristine waters of the world, we desperately need to find a viable alternative to wild-caught and farmed fish. Seeing this gap, Lou along with his co-founders launched Blue Nalu and set out to find the best scientists and investors to make their cellular aquaculture dreams come true. In this episode, Lou and I talk about the commercial fishing industry and how cellular aquaculture can provide a viable alternative to fish farming and the wild-caught products. He also gets into issues within the seafood industry and how Blue Nalu can solve the issue of fish mislabeling that often happens in grocery stores, as well as resolving concerns about toxins, mercury levels, and even microplastics in seafood. Lou also dives into the strategy and logistics of building a cell-based seafood business. At the moment, Blue Nalu might be a small fish in the big bad ocean that is the global fishing industry, but their technology has the potential to literally change the face of commercial fishing and save our oceans from the brink of collapse. To learn more about this exciting new company, listen in. Luke Cooperhouse, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Neil. Lou, so you've had a 30-plus year career in the food industry, and you've done amazing and fascinating things. And most recently, you were executive director at um, the Rutgers Food Innovation Center. Um, You could have done literally anything with your career at this point. How is it that you landed upon this idea of um, 
transforming the seafood industry with cellular aquaculture, as you call it. Well, thanks for letting me talk about my story. So, uh, yeah, my career has been quite diverse. I began at large corporations, Campbell Soup, uh, Conagra, uh, and also an SE-funded startup. And I was also uh, did some startups myself. But as you mentioned, for roughly the last 20 years, for the most part, I, I helped others do startups. And through that exercise, I had you know, a unique opportunity to see literally several thousand ideas that came across my desk, you know, as we help many entrepreneurs with their startup ventures. And I've always been fascinated by food and technology and food trends in general and do a lot of public speaking in that uh, aspect. And uh, I was actually profiling some of the most exciting innovations in the entire food sector as I was given a uh, keynote presentation at a Hawaii Agricultural Foundation conference just uh, about a year and a half ago, um, where I was doing some work in Hawaii at the time. And uh, as I was profiling these companies, I literally made this statement that uh, there's something happening in food that is totally unparalleled. You know, it is the, as Henry Ford uh, developed uh, from, from horse-drawn carriages to, uh, to the automobile, it's an amazing disruption that was happening. And um, as I was profiling companies, I was fascinated by both plant-based foods and also this new category of, of cell-based foods, uh, both of which are meeting consumer needs and desires for foods that are more sustainable. So at the same time, I've been witnessing how consumers have shifted in the last five years in particular. During my career, I saw people being a bit self-serving, if you will, and narcissistic and buying foods for themselves and for their own health and losing weight, or maybe they were local. But over time, I saw foods are becoming more meaningful. And people have been shifting towards foods that were healthy, not just for themselves or their family, but for the planet. And that foods have become much more of a statement and, and a connection. And the foods that you serve your friends and family have become, if you will, a little political. You know, they're, they're making a commentary about something you believe in. And as I saw that shift happening and with consumer attitudes, and I saw this new opportunity that has arisen in the last five years in particular in the plant-based and cell-based category, um, I saw personally just this, uh, just a huge opportunity to make an amazing global difference, you know, something that is absolutely transformative. And so I got together. I was actually making a, a presentation at this conference in Hawaii, literally, uh, as I mentioned, about a year and a half ago. And I described what I, the words I used were the holy grail of the food industry is upon us. Mm-hmm. And it's really cell-based foods. And I, I actually used the uh, you know, kind of an example of, of the hamburger patty um, in this presentation. I talked about how uh, generation one that many of us grew up with was uh, the hamburger that came from, of course, the land-based animal. And generation two, which is over the last 30, 40 years, has been, if you will, a, a replacement burger. It's a burger, but from something that didn't necessarily taste like a hamburger, but met your needs as a burger. You put it on a bun, and it came from vegetables. And Gardein and, and Amy's and many, many amazing companies uh, really developed that category and had a, a really strong loyal following. But obviously, in the last several years with Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, we're seeing a, a, an imitation burger. You know, it's a, it's a third generation of a burger. Um, we're the product uh, that really replicates all the sensory attributes of a burger um, and we're, we're, we're raising tremendous amount of funds and had huge awareness and interest. And this seemed to be quite transformative. 
you know, to many consumers and to many investors. But I personally saw a much larger opportunity in cell-based uh, with, uh, with obviously Mark Post's uh, development, uh, now Mosa Meats, uh, and also Memphis Meats uh, launch into the category. And they're, they're, they're being the recipient of an A round just uh, not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was quite sizable, and the amount of and the type of investors, the amount of investors that came into the space, I found that you know just absolutely fascinating. But saw a much larger opportunity, much more disruptive and cell based. And as we looked across, uh, and as I was actually benchmarking, I'm a big benchmarker, looking at companies across the world, I saw a bit of an opportunity in seafood in, in a variety of ways. And um, uh, so I was actually advocating that there's uh, a huge opportunity in seafood. And that seafood actually is fraught with many more challenges, you know. So I think the simple math was the the uh, global demand for seafood is an all-time high with mm-hmm. consumers uh, having more than 20, 20 kilograms per capita, according to the UN, the most recent survey. Global supply is disappearing off our planet. Yeah. And, and uh, so overfishing, illegal fishing, the effects of climate change and acidified oceans, warming temperatures – um, a number of environmental factors, but another complicating huge factor is all the issues that consum- as consumers are shifting from red meat towards fish because of its health benefits. At the same time, we're increasingly becoming aware of a lot of health challenges, um, microplastics mm-hmm. from plastic pollution and toxins and warnings around mercury or ciguatera toxin, um, parasites and pathogens. Um, on top of that, all the issues with sustainability. So whether your whether your issues are personal health or ocean health, um, and to many people, it's animal health. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, as we're becoming increasingly aware, animals uh, die a very inhumane death as they end up on our ultimately on our plate and uh, go through uh, suffocation, live evisceration, depressurization. Boiling water, freezing water, it's in all situations, it's not nearly as humane, as inhumane as it is to a land animal, what happens in the case of the oceans. Mm-hmm. So there's many, many, many issues that are, that are, uh, that are affecting consumers' interest in this space. So, so back to your question, it was just an absolute alignment of the stars of global problems that uh, can in fact be solved. Um, if all we did was satisfy the increased consumer demand for seafood and and the rest of the world kept consuming fish the if you will the traditional way mm-hmm. um, there's a huge opportunity so it's a it's an absolute social opportunity economic opportunity uh, that's really upon us that we're extremely confident that we can disrupt this global seafood supply chain yeah I mean I totally agree with all the reasons you laid out I think um it's uh it's pretty obvious that from the, the bigger the problem the bigger the challenge the the bigger the opportunity and in, nothing bigger right now than a very fragmented and destructive um, seafood industry unlike uh, as if land based agriculture isn't bad enough if you really start doing the research in terms of um, what actually goes on in in fishing practices and the global fishing trade. Um, there's also, you know, slave labor issues and right. human rights issues and mislabeling of products and fraud. The, the industry basically presents itself for a, a, a perfect case for why it needs to be reinvented in some way. 
Um, so I totally get the reasons why seafood seemed like an exciting opportunity. When were you convinced of the technology? When did you get convinced that that cell-based was wasn't just a, a, some prototype that you could make a few, you know, thousand-dollar slabs of meat with, but instead uh, could eventually um, scale up to becoming a real, making a real dent in this larger seafood industry today? So when did that happen? Yeah, it was. Um, that's a great question. So you know, literally, uh, just I guess just around a year ago. Um, I met with a person that was running a, a large venture fund in Hawaii while I was at this uh, at this seminar, and we actually talked about the space and we talked about the technology. And the first thing that we did was uh, we're fascinated, as I mentioned, at the market opportunity was enormous. It's uh, it's a, it's a many tens, if not hundreds, of billions uh, of of uh, of a uh, global opportunity from a market size let alone the the fact that we just can't feed the world in the year 2050, period. Um, but back to your question on technology, the first thing we did was we went to stealth mode for about six months pe- uh, period, um, really asking just that question. What is the science behind this? What is the market? What is the regulatory situation? What are the challenges? What type of team do we need to actually be successful at this? And as a person who's started up many companies and advised many companies, in the end of the day, it's all about the team. You know, it's, it's, uh, and as we got together, we said, how do we bring together uh, core competencies? This is a, a unique space that nobody's ever been in before. So we're, we're, we're bringing together people that may have never met in the disciplines. So how do we bring in cell biology and tissue culture with food innovation, engineering, and commercialization? understanding of consumer marketing, consumer communication, um, but also intellectual property, uh, experience with startups and exits, and just really all aspects of running an operation. And uh, so it, it, it literally took three of us as, as co-founders, uh, Chris Samoji, Chris Damon, and myself, that started the company that collectively had 100 years of experience um, in all these different disciplines. And we chose to come to San Diego because of the tremendous workforce here, you know, in cell biology, tissue culture, bioprinting, 3D printing, um, and and really uh, a global re- a network of relationships that we collectively have to really help launch this business. But we, we became convinced that we could absolutely execute this. We looked at all the science. We came up with a technical strategy so that we raised our, our seed round of funding. We were literally able, you know, ready to and – and we did. In the first week in which we had funding, we launched with – with four people on board in addition to our three founders. So we, we were ready to rock and roll, if you will, <laughs> and, and get started immediately upon funding because we really put together a very uh, robust uh, st- uh, strategy to go forward uh, during that six months in which we were in stealth mode. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting to hear. Obviously you all are very experienced and have, you know, you know, you pretty much know the blueprint to get started as a company. Um, the difference here being you're, you're tackling a completely new technology, which, I understand may have been one of the reasons why it made it even more exciting because the challenge was greater, right? If you were yes. just starting another, you know, meal delivery or, company or hot sauce <laughs> or hot sauce. No, you know, I love both of those things, but uh, <laughs> I like meals prepared for me and I like hot sauce, but, um, but at the end of the day, that's been done, right? You're, you're trying to create a new kind of food that has never been made before. And uh, that in itself is a, is a science problem. It's a culinary problem at the same time. Um, and then at this 
and then you really think about what you're going to set out to do next. Um, you are you're creating something that doesn't exist in the existing uh, seafood industry, right? So you're it's an entirely new product. It breaks all the rules of uh, which this industry has been built on. Um, but we need that, right? As you said, we really are at the point where we innovation isn't um, a kind of a wish. We we kind of have to do this. We have to try it, or we're going to run out of wild seafood by the year 2050. Right. So, um, did you also look into um, aquaculture at some point? And why is um, general, why is farm fish not a viable option at scale globally? Yeah, we're we're. Uh... We made a, a decision also to work together with the existing seafood industry. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that we need to be in harmony with both uh, wild caught and, and, uh, and aquaculture uh, farmed seafood. Um, because in the day, it's really solving a global need for more fish uh, in our diets. And um, we actually chose to trademark the term cellular aquaculture as a descriptive term uh, for our, our process, not necessarily a consumer term, but one that people kind of can get it. They understand what we're doing. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, there's clearly challenges with uh, wild-caught and farm-raised, you know, without getting in, you know, doing a deep dive in that, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's the, the on, on absolutely uh, uh, farm-raised fish has uh, now surpassed the wild-caught in terms of uh, uh, amounts, amount of volume that we're, you know, in our diet. But on the, you know, for so many reasons, there's obviously issues with how those fish are farmed or what they're fed, uh, what conditions they live in, um, and and you know their nutrient composition. Um, what we can make with our cell-based products is a consistent product that's traceable, that's safer because it was made in a in a factory environment under really strict guidelines. If you look at the global seafood industry, it's very supply driven. Mm -hmm. We're giving, we're getting seafood from someplace, for example, in Asia that's coming to the mid, the Midwest uh, USA, or you know, traveling thousands of miles. It's almost so inefficient, and we can instead make of a supply driven economy, make a demand driven one. We can make a factory next to major metropolitan areas, uh, so the fish is actually. Exactly the same sensory attributes and culinary desires and expectations that we all have. You know, they were making a food product. So on the one hand, it's disruptive. On the other hand, it is meant to be, mm -hmm. it's a salmon filet. It's a scallop. It's a piece of shrimp without, of course, you know, it's headless, tailless, <laughs> um, shellless. Um, so we're actually making a fully yielded product. So there's so many interesting advantages of a 100% yielded product that is uh, known and traceable um, and trusted. So we're all about making a, a safe, consistent, trusted product. And one of the words you mentioned earlier was, was fraud. You know, sadly, this industry, because it is so fragmented, you know, fishing dates back to, it's biblical, right? Yeah. And, and it, it hasn't evolved, you know, t terribly much in, since biblical times, if you will, um, and, and how fish gets from one, from, from the supply to the demand. And uh, it's a total paradigm shift what we're doing. And, and sadly, because fish is, you know, is distributed across uh, many, changes hands many times, if you will, before it finally gets to, uh, to the restaurant and to your plate, either intentionally or unintentionally, you know, the fish gets mislabeled, misunderstood, 
And, you know, some DNA data has shown from an Oceana survey that in some cases, 60 or higher, higher than 80% of the, of the fish that we're consuming is, in fact, incorrectly labeled. Um, so here's a chance to get the best quality, the best sensory attributes of, of uh, whether sable fish or whether it's trout or, or bluefin tuna or scallops, mm-hmm. you know, that can actually be um, uh, made, you know, to, to uh, absolutely be consistent and meet your expectations every time. So it's a total... Total game changer. Yeah. And are you thinking about specific species? Or are you uh, at this point still trying to figure out where the, yeah, where's your head at in terms of um, what, you know, because when you say seafood, it, it's a huge, uh, it's not only a huge industry, but it's also got a diversity of, uh, of fish and products. Uh, which ones are you going to tackle first? Or are you still at the stage where you're, you're trying to figure out what, where you're going to lead with or what you're going to lead with? We, we actually described ourselves as species agnostic you know, early on, and we still are because our whole, our whole approach and our whole strategy is to be, you know, cannily very disruptive and mm-hmm. to be much, very much a platform technology. And we've actually done development, you know, in finfish, crustacean, and mollusks, and we're even looking at um, other categories of seafood that, that we eat. And I think the way we look at this whole industry is globally – um, products can be refrigerated, frozen, or shell-stable. Mm-hmm. Products can be eaten raw or cooked, you know, as a commodity or value-added. And what, you know, sells in Europe is not what sells in U.S. or Canada even, but let alone Asia. Very different global tastes. Unlike meat and poultry, which is reasonably consistent by comparison, mm-hmm. there's such diversity in, in species. Um, but back to your question, we're, we're initially uh, very focused on, on the broad category finfish, and we, uh, we have done uh, development on a uh, better part of 10 different finfish thus far, and we're also done some work on shellfish uh, species as well. Um, but our whole strategy is to actually partner with uh, leading consumer packaged goods and food service operators uh, to actually bring our products to market. It's very challenging to create uh, global distribution, very costly and very timely. So our, our strategy is to be efficient with uh, our funds to get to market and disrupt the greatest amount of seafood that's purchased globally with products manufactured through our cellular agriculture process, um, working with global partners to to uh, mm-hmm. enable us to get to marketplace. Well, there's a bunch of different things. There. I want to get to your go-to-market in a bit, but uh, before we get there... Um, a bit on the science, we don't have to go into too much details, but my rudimentary understanding of uh, cell-based ag- aquaculture, in this case, or agriculture in general, is that fish as um, as a kind of meat is generally easier, should be theoretically easier to uh, create using cellular technology. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Is What's the difference between say, developing a fillet of salmon versus uh, trying to make a um, steak? Um, and why is it that maybe maybe you this is a, the easier technology to tackle first, easier product to tackle first using this technology? Yeah, on the one hand, it's, it's a lot harder because there's no scientific knowledge about seafood. You know, uh, those who began in, on the meat and poultry side, you know, obviously had some of the science around mammals, uh, and, and humans, uh, 
and mice and hamsters and so forth, there is a fair amount of knowledge. And some of those processes uh, that work with land animals are not too dissimilar to the knowledge that pre-exists. In the case of seafood, there's no science. Yeah, all the so, science is so far in agriculture, besides, of course, crops is in, in animal agriculture, is related to, to meat and poultry and eggs. Correct. And, and That's crazy. I never thought about it. I mean, yeah, in seafood, you get wild-caught fish that you're not really engineering that in any way. And it's a total white space. So, mm-hmm. so, so we, as we began this, uh, you know, our technical strategy, we recognized, wow, there, you know, on the one hand, there's huge intellectual property opportunity mm. to, to dominate the, the IP space and as well as uh, having know-how. And um, so on the one hand, that was quite challenging. On the other hand, you know, but also opportunistic. Um, and, and the reason it's, it's easier, if you will, is because it's more on the consumer side. So, so consumer expectations, and we're so consumer focused, you know, around the meat category, you know, in the equivalent land-based animal in the cell-based space, you know, they're going from, you know, ground meat is kind of a category that's a bit similar to surimi, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, on the seafood side. Um, and as the, as the meat industry looks at where the value added opportunities are and they get into, if you will, uh, you know, on the on the pork side, it's sausages still. But as you get into more products that are more differentiated and distinctive, like you know, for example, a ribeye steak or a porterhouse, what have you, those are quite technically challenging because consumers uh, come to that plate and expect something to really deliver. Yeah. The, the sensory expectations are enormous. Um, on the flip side, if you look at the seafood space. Uh, when when we go to out, out to eat uh, at a restaurant and those of us who eat fish and we say what's mm-hmm. um, you say market price or what's available today, it's not necessarily you know if you want a ribeye steak you know you expect that to be there but in the case of fish you're a little bit more um, uh, you're, I say I, I should say you're a little bit less uh, steadfast in your opinion about about what you actually want and also what it actually tastes like. Um, you you experience a really great fish, but you don't necessarily go in there with you know a, a pre-design on what that would taste like and so forth. So all that to say, the the physical the physiological structure of fish is a fair, fairly simpler mm-hmm. than that of meat. You know the 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 the, uh, the red color or the the way the product cooks on the meat side and the flavors profiles are quite significant and substantial. On the fish side, the product's a little bit more homogeneous. You know, think about a scallop, if you will, you know, what that, that spongy-like texture looks like, or even a salmon or a sea bass that has more of a, uh, uh, a pattern that can be replicated a whole lot easier than you can in a, a very diverse muscle tissue like you might get in a steak product. Mm-hmm. All that to say is in the seafood category, we can clearly move up the value chain into, into premium products like salmon, sea bass, and many other fish in many forms where that would be a little more challenging, I believe, on the, on the, on the meat and poultry side. And at no point during this uh, initial brainstorm uh, plotting what your next move was going to be with Blue Nalu, did you stop to think and ask uh, if uh, – I'm sure you did uh, – why not go down the plant-based route? Um, is, is there maybe more science already? Maybe there's – Maybe you could go to market quicker and launch um, some sort of a plant-based product that replicates um, fish. How difficult would that be? Did you even did you even do that analysis uh, in the beginning? 
And if you did, and why did you still choose cell-based? Because I think that's a lot of other companies are offering plant-based products in this space. Um, many are launching very soon. Uh, I'm sure you've looked at them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our, our our opinion, frankly, is uh, plant-based is a bit of a means to an end. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and uh, the holy grail, back to my earlier comment, mm -hmm. and, and, and the meat, poultry, seafood industry is cell-based because it is – from a labeling perspective and a sensory perspective and a functional perspective, it is fish. You know, it's not a, it's otherwise it's, it's a plant-based product. It's a, it's meant to replicate it, but it is an imitation product. Mm. We're making real fish, you know, so it is the end of the line. Um, we're certainly fascinated by the, you know, cause the, the plant-based seafood category also is, you know, can use a, quite a bit of improvement and there's certainly an opportunity there. Um, that's something that continues to be interesting to us, but clearly the, the big win is in cell-based and that's where, absolutely where we're focusing our efforts. Yeah. And, you know, just so that I know the, the, the good part about talking to you now is that you're still at a very early stage of your company. And, um, on the one hand, that's a challenge because for me, <laughs> because you don't have a product in the market. So people listening to this can go out there and try one. But on the other hand, the lessons to be learned from this is, you know, if you could summarize your last um, – so the company has been around only since this year, right, officially? That, that's correct, earlier this year. Earlier this year. So it's 2018. Uh, in the last eight, ten months that you've been working on this, um, how would you summarize your the, your key lessons and the key – the blueprint that you've developed for Blue Nalu? And the reason I ask that is I think it's very it's – it's a very interesting question for those listening – that perhaps uh, run their own companies, plan to start their own companies. It's you have an idea, you see a market opportunity. Uh, you mentioned you firstly assemble a good team, which is obvious. Without that, you can't build anything. But um, you know, without to the extent you want to give away your 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 secret blueprint, even uh, what were your? How did you lay down your roadmap for the next ten to twelve to twenty four months? Uh, and if you don't mind sharing what that looks like, what you've learned, and what your roadmap for this year and next is look like. Yeah, our our uh, our roadmap is um, is really based on the end in mind. Mm -hmm. and, and the end in mind, you know, so companies can go very sequential from A to B to C, but our focus is go from Z to Y to X. You know, where do we want to be? And our focus is scale. Um, and I think the way to be successful in this business is to really think about how will this product get to market and how do we work backwards from that? You know, what kind of strategy we you know it's 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 for scientifically it's easy it's more logical to actually begin with the cells and then keep on proliferating and do one element at a time yes we're doing that but at the same time our parallel path is to look at how we get this product to market who are the type of partners we would have what are the global consumption patterns where is this heading what kind of price points are there what countries should we launch in or countries and what does a factory look like so one thing that we've worked on as one of our very first initiatives is developing what is the first cell-based food factory look like? And it is a food factory. <laughs> so I think uh, as, a, as a company, um, uh, not knowing necessarily what all of our competition might be doing across the entire you know, meat, poultry, seafood, pork industry, um, but I would have to say that we are the hardest charging company uh, at looking at manufacturing and scale. That is how we win and how we get to market the fastest with, uh, so we're actually designing what a factory looks like to feed a 
regional population of 20 million people. It could be New York, could be LA, could be many cities. And what does that what does that plant look like? What does it cost? Uh, what are the assumptions that go into that factory? Uh, and if we, as the old story, if we were to uh, displace 10%, 15%, 30% mm-hmm. of a specific species, how about two? How about three? How about five? So we're looking at, you know, really thinking through what a factory looks like. And that one factory that feeds 20 million people can be replicated 50, 100 times over around the world. Mm-hmm. So we've already, uh, we'll be uh, uh, announcing in some regard what that factory looks like in the next several months because we've actually made some significant progress there and we have a really aggressive commercialization strategy. So back to the secret sauce, it's yeah. really focused on the end. I like and, that. And, and, working, <laughs> and working our way backwards. And then what kind of money do we need to raise to get there? Mm-hmm. So rather than think incrementally, one, one piece at a time, we've identified uh, literally about a five or six phase strategy of growth in which we continue to pilot our 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 volume to to a new uh, a new a new plateau, um, ultimately getting to that type of population, and and our goal is to get there within uh, uh, within three to five years. That we will have within three years, we will be in, in some sort of a, uh, a regional launch. Within five years, we will have a very aggressive national launch. Yeah, and I think now I understand your approach to being species agnostic because. Um what your what you just described there is how you think of because here's I'm going to rephrase that I think it's very easy for a, a, a startup like this um, to become nothing more than a glorified research project. Yes. And what I'm hearing from you is you're thinking of you're thinking of the business end goals right up front. Of course, you're doing the research and you're, you're you have to have that because you won't have a product in the end. But you're letting each guide each other. You're run, at least they're running in parallel tracks where you're making informed decisions at the points that are guided by where that endpoint you want to reach. So if you, so now I understand how is it that you're you're discussing manufacturing and you're talking to partners because when I first heard you were doing that, it, it seemed kind of a, I was like, do you have a product already that you're doing that? What what are you discussing with them? But at the end of the day, if you don't know where your product will be sold, who's willing to? partnered, where the opportunities are, where you can actually get a sizable share of the market, you will end up creating a product that maybe no one wants. Um, So I totally get that way of thinking. And I think that's the difference between thinking about a science-based startup um, as a business versus as a science project. And that's an excellent point. And and our our approach is really... um, we're not in a specific species. We're not focusing, you know, in, in one item, but we're focusing on a broad spectrum of products. Mm-hmm. For example, we talked before a little about the, the global demand for seafood. As we all know, you know, fish is available at certain times of the year. There's wild price fluctuations globally. Um, everything from eel in Asia to uh, 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 salmon and sea bass and sea bream and so many species and scallops and, and blue crab. Um, so we're, we're, as we're thinking about factories, we're thinking about uh, how we can understand the market dynamics. Mm. Um, maybe as the global supply of uh, certain species of fish are pretty prevalent in certain three, four, six months of the year, maybe during the other six months mm. when that product is unavailable, that's when we hit the market hard. And then, you know, so as a platform technology, we could actually help create an even price, an even supply 
of fish as a market entry strategy mm-hmm. so so that uh, fish is now available quote year round for the first time you know and and in a consistent supply and a consistent price so there's a lot of interesting dynamics that we've thought through about how we develop a a manufacturing factory that actually deals with uh, all the interesting global supply uh, and pricing and volatility that exists and how we could actually offset that. Mm-hmm. I also read that you are not, at least at the moment, considering creating um, a brand, direct-to-consumer brand, a CPG brand in general, um, and you instead want to be able to supply to existing players within the industry. Um, is that still true? And if so, wh- why is that your strategy and, and how does that fit into this bigger picture? Yeah, I think you know our strategy is to uh, is to get to market the fastest with with uh, uh, the most aggressive strategy, and the way for us to do that, at least in our initial phase, is through partnering. And and uh, we're partnering already with research partners and technology partners, um, and we're also uh, have begun discussions with marketing distribution partners already, um, because we all know how challenging it is the food industry. Mm-hmm is uh, extremely competitive, very consolidated um, in general. And having those relationships in that brand and the amazing amount of equity that exists amongst consumer brands uh, is something we don't need to recreate. Yeah. It's extremely costly and very inefficient. So our, our whole strategy is to partner with, with leading CPG partners, but also food service distributors. Um, there's opportunities uh, – from schools and business institutions mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to uh, major food service operators of, of, of seafood, mm-hmm. but also uh, broad-based distributors and clearly at retail. Uh, unlike meat and poultry, which has a few major players that we all can recite off a number of brands in our mind, we can only think of a few brands when it comes to seafood. Mm-hmm. It is actually far more fragmented and, and far more uh, – Far, far more players that control market share across the globe and varies dramatically by country. So we see ourselves partnering with a certain species in a certain form of the product. Again, there's can or refrigerated or frozen applications, commodity and value added. Mm-hmm. Um, a fish can be uh, served as sushi grade or it could be canned or it could be frozen. It could be batter, breaded, fried. So, so many forms, so many markets. It's just such a huge business. But we actually see ourselves having a, a, just a, literally several dozen partners, ultimately, as we take our product to market and allows us to get there faster. And, and maybe our approach will be a bit like, uh, if I can borrow the phrase Intel inside, you know, it's Bunalu inside. Yeah. You know, we've also, um, in addition to trademarking cellular agriculture, we've also trademarked the term eating blue. So eating blue is is also something that we see uh, being associated with our products, and eat blue is comes off of uh, the, of, a, of a phrase "go green," mm. you know, about making more sustainable choices, and you know around packaging and and uh, all the environmental aspects associated with going green. But eating blue is similarly about being more conscious about what's on your plate when it comes to seafood, and it has really broad applications. We're quite excited about about uh, incorporating. Uh, you know, eating blue as part of our whole messaging going forward. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really smart. I mean, and we didn't cover this earlier, but blue nalu nalu means wave in in Hawaiian. Correct. So yeah, we actually uh, had our first meeting uh, as as the three founders in in the beautiful state of Hawaii. Hawaii is, a, is an interesting place. In addition to being such a beautiful place, it's also about twenty five hundred miles from any major landmass. It's right yeah. in the middle of the Pacific. 
it's a it's it's a state that really values and has some amazing seafood um and it's also uh being the pacific it's it's so it's so representative of the global problem we have with mm-hmm. seafood supply and alu as you mentioned is a hawaiian word for for wave um and you know our whole disruptive message is to to create this whole new wave of thinking mm-hmm. um represent the wave of the ocean and actually there's a, a street slang in in hawaiian called nalawit you know which is you know uh, which actually translate to go with the go with flow, the flow. <laughs> but also be mindful and thoughtful mm-hmm. and, and, and conscious of your decisions. So it's uh, it just it turned out to be just a fascinating word that, uh, uh, that for for a name for a company. Yeah, and you were mentioning the 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 fishing the the seafood industry being fragmented compared to uh, meat da- meat poultry and dairy, which is very consolidated right now. But um, part of the reason why maybe there's even more opportunities in in seafood is because it's from what I've learned about the industry. It seems like everyone, no matter which which section, sub subsection of the industry, whether it's the the fishermen or it is the distributors or or anyone controlling any CPG product, everyone's not happy. No one's happy with what ha- what's happening right now is because the demand is high and the supply is low, which is not the case in land agriculture. Right. So that one of the reasons you know. Seafood industry is really fascinating to study in general, and I've been reading up about it, is that because of it is so dependent on factors beyond people's control. It's dependent on the weather, and of course, it's dependent on the fact that you don't have any more fish left in the ocean, so you have to keep going deeper. And then because of that, now you have fishing limits, so no one's happy about that. So everyone's in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction and basically barely trying to scrape by uh, to make the money that they make. So, of course, some people make tons of money. Uh, those have those who have the control, but it's it's not the fishermen in in Africa or in Asia that are going out there and risking their lives to to get the fish. So, I think it's. Um, I would love to learn more, hear more from you about in your conversations with uh, with partners within the industry. How have they reacted to this idea? What has been their feedback so far? We we've been uh, very blessed uh, in our in our seed round of funding. For example, we had we raised four point five million dollars, which is the largest seed round globally in this in this uh, space mm. of seafood, and one largest in the entire uh, category, which uh, has been called clean meat, but mm-hmm. cell based uh, products across the globe at the seed level. And and uh, we actually have twenty six unique investors that came in. And throughout the entire investor pool, and just uh, and, and they're coming from five uh, countries: so U.S., U.K., Israel, Luxembourg, and uh, and, and Hong Kong. So we have really our whole objective was to have a diverse uh, audience of investors, but um, they're they're so committed to what we're doing, not just for the social mission behind what we're doing, but the it's an absolute global opportunity. You know, it, it's 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 the as back to the Henry Ford example, this mm-hmm. is this is an industry that absolutely has to change. And if, if all we did was supplement, the, you know, the the global uh, demand for seafood, uh, that that would be a huge benefit. But we we think we can in fact replace some of the uh, the global supply that's currently coming from the oceans and seas with products manufactured our way. Yes, it will take time, but I think back to the back to the the, the things that resonated. What seemed to be uh, one thing that we haven't talked about yet was just healthy oceans. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, we asked ourselves when we first started, what business are we in? Um, we're actually 
if you will, in the ocean business. Mm -hmm. So we're here to, I think what we learned ourselves is healthy oceans are, are so critical for all life forms, representing 50, as, far, as high as 85% of the oxygen on our planet, you know, some you know, tremendous biodiversity on our planet, mm -hmm. 30,000 species that we're eating, 230,000 documented marine species. Um, you know, 97% of our Earth's water comes from, from, from the oceans, critical for food security and, and climate and regulating our climate. So, so just the uh, healthy oceans is, is, is clearly a brand new, uh, not a brand new, I'm sorry, is, is an absolute uh, thing that we, we must be uh, very conscious of, and many of our investors are as well. Um, so, yeah, there's, that's one challenge. But as you mentioned, whether it's uh, bycatch, mm -hmm. you know, and maintaining coral reefs and just the inefficiencies of fishing, um, uh, or it's the uh, occupational health and some of the slavery issues that we've, we've we certainly read about. Um, or it's uh, human health is mm -hmm. a huge issue. Um, we we are we're we're ingesting thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of microplastic particles in the mm -hmm. seafood we eat. If we if we are at that per capita consumption number, there's a lot of plastics that we're all eating, and you know the unknown effects of that. You know, let alone you know wh why are there warnings on seafood and, uh, and not just for for. Uh, pregnant or, or, or breastfeeding uh, women, but uh, but or young children or mm -hmm. older uh, adults, or those with immunocompromised systems, but even healthy adults, there's warnings on how much uh, albacore tuna one should consume. So so you know, we can finally, if you will, you know, have food that's free of any, any environmental contaminants. Yeah. So it is. Uh, there's so many. It's it's almost a bit of a challenge. There's so many nuances and opportunities with seafood that it's. Um, uh, we're just so excited as our investors to really uh, uh, take an extremely strong position in the space. Yeah, the why is just so simple in this one. I mean, it's beyond simple. It's like one third of the carbon dioxide in the in the atmosphere is is absorbed by our oceans. So the oceans are our largest carbon sink. And what's yep. happening with increased greenhouse gas emissions? The oceans are taking yep. are, are feeling the brunt of it. So you know, ocean acidification, warming waters, which is why fish are migrating deeper and deeper into the oceans, which is why we now go deeper into the oceans with our right. shipping vessels, with sonar technology to catch them. And it's, and of course, you mentioned bycatch and you have pollutants. It's the state of the oceans it should worry more people, unfortunately, for people who don't, you know, think about the issue or haven't been exposed to it. The oceans seem out of sight, out of mind. And uh, what we see is just as you know, the Earth is covered with seventy percent, seventy-one percent of uh, ocean, and it's um, and it seems blue. <laughs> it seems it seems like things are okay, but it's far from okay. And I think we have a very short amount of time to fix things. So I think I'm not surprised that you were able to to raise that round so quickly. And I'm I'm and I'm pretty sure you're going to get even more support going forward. I think for anyone out there talking about ocean conservation, building um, ocean protected marine conservation or protected areas. Those, even you know, as much as I like that, and I think that's a good idea, it only protects certain parts of the ocean from overfishing. It does not address all these other challenges that we're facing, where because of climate change, the oceans are really feeling the impact. The coral reefs are feeling the impact. The marine species that rely on that habitat are feeling the impact. Right. And then, of course, as you said, we're dumping toxins and plastics into the ocean that eventually end up in our food supply. So... Uh, it, from a, from an industry standpoint, the, the people that you talk to, do you do they see that as well? Do they see the writing on the wall that this is this is 
you know, I keep, I say this a lot to people. I say the meat industry and the, and the, now I think I'm going to add the seafood industry to that list will change because they see that their industry is unsustainable. And I don't mean unsustainable necessarily from an environmental standpoint. I mean, financially, because if you really want to be a viable company in 2050 and you're relying on the oceans to get your fish from, um, then you're most likely going to be out of business by that time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's, is is that what you're hearing from the industry? And like, what is, what is the seafood? Do they even care about this issue yet? Are they paying attention? They do. Are they I, ignoring you? <laughs> no, we, I mean, the, 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 uh, the commodity seafood companies we have talked to, they certainly recognize that, that the world needs to change. Um, and, you know, what, what we've read about and the innovations in this industry have, if you will, just been band-aids on a much larger global mm-hmm. problem. You know, this is absolutely the solution to, to feeding the world. And, and uh, I think we're seeing that, particularly in the CPG side, some of the large, uh, you know, 10, even a better part of $100 billion food companies are really interested in the space. We're seeing an awful lot of... Uh, uh, of interest at food service distribution and uh, you know and, and uh, uh, restaurants and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, again, the the plant based consumer is 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 yeah. uh, is is our consumer as well. They're looking to 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 make a conscious choice to eat something more sustainable. That's uh, they they don't want to give up. We actually use the term you know you can enjoy seafood products quote without compromise. Mm-hmm. And a lot of and and people. We're all human beings. You know, we want to have products that taste great. And in fact, and, you know, coming from the food industry as I do, number one criterion for repeat purchase is taste. You know, it's not sustainability or health. You know, people, you know, want food is enjoyment, mm-hmm. you know, and they want to enjoy their food. They also want to support a greater cause, but they don't want to necessarily give up on, on the, the taste and the sensory expectation that they have. And they really, they really derive great emotional satisfaction from food. And that's our mission too. Is to there's no no compromise here. You will enjoy the most delicious and perhaps even more delicious seafood than you've ever had before because we can actually perfect, if you will, some of those sensory attributes that uh, you expect. You know, with the right composition of fat cells, if you will, that give you that kind of mouthfeel that you're looking for, and the flavor and and some of the the nuance uh, sensory attributes that you expect from seafood. We can actually make the perfect seafood product uh, through our process. Yeah. So, so we're all about, um, all about that. And we've, we've actually uh, seen a tremendous interest from the, uh, uh, from, from the uh, strategic investor side, if you will, uh, in, in our space. So uh, as, as we raise, raise more funding in the future, we see ourselves uh, being more engaged with those kind of companies as well. Yeah. And what do you think are going to be your biggest challenges Um because you know you mentioned earlier that what you're really trying to do is to is to tackle the pro- to, to develop cellular based aquaculture at scale um that's pretty bold statement there <laughs> so how are you what, what do you think is going to get in the way of you achieving this goal of having your products in the market maybe in 3 years or 3 to 5 years at least you know, our, our focus is the challenge, you know, and that's everybody, it's the entire industry's challenge. It's not just ours. Mm-hmm. Um, it's scale, you know, and scale goes along with cost, you know, so, so it's, what does this factory look like? What are, how do we reduce the cost of growing out these cells uh, through media composition um, and a process that 
really allows us to reduce costs. So we're looking at all sorts of, you know, engineering technologies um, and growth, you know, uh, platform technologies that will allow us to do this at reduced costs with, uh, uh, with, with high efficiency and high scale. But, you know, that is, that is the problem. It's all about uh, cost of manufacturing. At the end of the day, this will be a food factory. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some of the analogies have been, this is a bit like, uh, you know, not at all, but it's in people's minds, it's a little bit like uh, a brewery. Mm-hmm. So, so we have big fermentation tanks, stainless steel, it's some of the same equipment that we're using in many other industries in the in the food world. We're doing that too, um, but but product coming out of there will be uh, good old fashioned um, value added seafood products, um, but but in a really clean environment with uh, might be vacuum packaged, sold in uh, big box supermarket stores or your local or your local chain or even a convenience store, um, college menus. So we see. Um, Again, our whole platform is a, is a diverse array of seafood in a diverse number of forms, mm-hmm. diverse geographies, um, and uh, and also in, in through diverse uh, channels of distribution. So it's really, uh, if you will, slicing and dicing you know the market opportunity. So when we launch in the three to five year time period we talked about, uh, we sh- we see ourselves launching in in possibly three different global markets: Asia, U.S., and EU. The, the three continents where there's the greatest uh, uh, U.S. And, and Canada, I should say, the, th- the three continents where there's the greatest, the greatest uh, per capita consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, but in each case, with uh, product applications that will be quite different. So our whole goal is to launch globally uh, with uh, multiple species and multiple forms in multiple countries um, at a reasonably similar period of time wow. to actually demonstrate global appeal for this process. Mm-hmm. You know, and really have a a very uh, uh, aggressive strategy. Wow! No, I think it's it's bold. It's needed. I think we are at the point um, where we. I think science is finally there where we can make this happen. Uh, I think Winston Churchill predicted it a long right. time ago. That's right. right. Uh, but it's finally come to fruition. Um, I read this uh, quote yesterday while I was thinking about today's conversation and and i and i think uh, you'll find it interesting it's from bill drayton um he's an author uh, he said social entrepreneurs um not not are not content just giving a fish or teaching someone how to fish they will not rest till they revolutionize the fishing industry <laughs> <laughs> i think that definitely applies to you here Thanks. um so it's safe to say that this is your um uh, you know, this is not a short-term project. <laughs> you're committed to this absolutely for the long term, and it's. Um, I think your career and your your thirty plus years of experience in the food industry has led to this point. Now, uh, I don't think it's an accident, and I think we should. And I, it's good to see people with your kind of pedigree, background, experience, um, knowledge, connections, understanding of the food system, stepping into this space. Um, and I think that's what makes it even more exciting because. You know, you, you you know what you're doing, <laughs> to put it bluntly. I think you know what the food industry is and how complicated it can be. Um, and, and if you're focusing on this problem and you're focusing on cellular-based aquaculture as a solution, uh, undoubtedly it gives a lot of other people and a lot of other entrepreneurs and investors not just hope but also confidence in the fact that we may actually make this happen and we may actually have a chance of um, – you know, having sustainable seafood by the year 2050. So, you know, keeping that in mind, if you kind of look ahead, if Blue Nalu succeeds, if your plans come to fruition and your uh, product 
hits the market in a few years and you end up becoming um, a significant player in the seafood industry in whatever shape and form it takes in the years ahead. Uh, when you look ahead, and I always give this year because the year 2050 is by when we will have, um, not just in, in the seafood industry, but in general, we would be in a position where we either can't feed the world or we've the work that we're doing now has led us to a possible solution. So I want to talk about a scenario where the work you're doing now does lead us to that solution. So if Blue Nalo succeeds, what is uh, your sort of vision for a food system in the year 2050? And you can make it broad or you can talk specifically about the seafood industry, but uh, what, is, what, are your, what is your true north? What, do we do, what, you, what would you like to see in the year 2050? Now we, you know, first of all, it's not if, it's when uh, we're <laughs> successful. So we're, we're, uh, yeah, we're, thanks, we're, thanks for correcting. <laughs> of course. Um, no, we're, I think, um, and for, for all your entrepreneurs and that are listeners, I think, um, one thing that I've, I've always advised, uh, other entrepreneurs too, is, is know what you don't know and surround yourself with a team that brings all the resources you need to be successful. And, and our whole, our whole methodology has been just that is, is a founding team, but then continue to build upon that team and bring in partners. This is all about working together. This is a big collaborative effort. So I think, uh, our true North is really, is all about partnering. Actually, it's, uh, um, the way to be successful is to bring in others who have expertise, not just as, as organizational, uh, talent, um, but also uh, marketing partners, distributor partners, research partners, university partners, uh, operations technology partners. And we've, we've uh, begun that very aggressively already and have a number of partnerships in place uh, on the front end of the development side. But as we get further, it'll be much more focused on operations and, and commercialization and distribution um, you know, on a global level. So, so that's, that's our, our true north is to really – and not just do this by ourselves, mm -hmm. but do this through a series of relationships that'll be really deep. Yeah. That that we will we don't need to necessarily create all this consumer awareness and branding that our partners will, will do that with us, you know, because they've already got the equity. So it's, it's really um it's a relationship game. Mm -hmm. And and uh um especially we look across the globe and it is so fragmented as we talked about when the seafood sector It'll be relationships in every in every continent, you know, and we also you know recognize uh, and, and value that the seafood industry. I just want to make a point, you know, is really important to many economies around the world, especially in developing countries. Yeah. We're not here to displace the global supply of seafood, you know, through our process. We're here at a minimum to supplement what the world will need to feed itself, as you mentioned, in the year 2050 and beyond. Um, it's a classic supply demand issue. There's just not enough supply to feed the world, period. Um, we can make up that difference, and we, we think that for those that uh, would like to make a more sustainable choice in their seafood, um, particularly more developed countries, we'll be there for you. Mm -hmm. um, and many developing countries that rely on that as a form of sustenance, but perhaps uh, perhaps they, you know, perhaps will make a difference in those countries too where people will slowly evolve towards making more sustainable choices and, and leaving the fish in the ocean yeah. and the seas. That's, that's our, that's our, that's our, that's our, our, our true North is to just have more fish in the oceans, um, living freely. And we're able to have a nutritious source of protein, uh, without disrupting, uh, the beautiful wildlife that we have, uh, in our seas and oceans. Yeah. I think that's, uh, 
I think, yeah, I think when you succeed, this is undoubtedly going to be a possibility by the year 2050. So, Lou Cooperhouse, thank you for spending this time with me today. Um, I think what you're doing here is fascinating, and I'm excited to follow the journey of Blue Nalu and see where you take this um, startup that is in a very early stage into becoming a real player in the seafood uh, sector. So thanks again for having me here today. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.